Welcome to another edition of Creative Mind. My name is Bobby Brill. And on this episode, we asked that question about virtual reality that we always seem to ask ourselves about virtual reality is, what is the state of virtual reality? What, what makes it interesting? Why is VR so important? And with all of the new tools coming out and with VR being more affordable and easier to use, it's a good question. And this time we talk with Philip Koffeld. Philip is somebody with a very long career in digital games, video games, rigging. He's a technical league, and he's developed curriculum for technical animation, animation, and virtual reality here at the Academy. So he really is an expert on this and somebody who's devoting a lot of time to answering this question of what makes VR useful, interesting, and so important. And before we get into our conversation, please take a moment to hit subscribe on whatever device you're listening to so you never miss an episode of Creative Mind. Here's Philip. What Was VR something that you were interested in before, or was it that push that really got you to dive deep into VR? I was vaguely interested in it. It's kind of one of those things where I tend to give uh, new technology a little bit of a hairy eyeball. <laughs> um, just because I've seen so much come and go. It sounded interesting, but until I think once I tried it and it kind of blew me away and I really started thinking about what the possibilities could potentially be. And that's when I, why I really started getting into it. Cause for me, you know, as kind of the old guy who doesn't play video games as much as a lot of people do, I still look at VR and I think some people do as well as something like, when is this going to be amazing? And every time I look at it, it is amazing. But then you look at it a week later and you're like, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of the problem is that once the novelty wears off, then what, right? And this is for a completely new platform or way of interacting, storytelling, playing games, whatever it is it takes a while for people to figure it out. And the example that I always give uh, when I give talks or I'm talking to my class is in the early days of film, the first films were, here's a train pulling into a station. Right. Here's people leaving a factory. Look, we're on a train. You know, there, it's all these like really early films. And by the way, they are, they're using AI to enhance and colorize those like to basically take them from kind of the crappy film up to like uh -huh. 4K. And it's kind of amazing. If you want to go down a bit of a rabbit hole, you can find all that on YouTube. Kind of going back. So, but those, it was kind of the novelty of it. And if we're going to compare that to VR, those were our like, look, you're on a roller coaster. Look, you're on a big swing. Look, you're falling. You're getting, you know, all these kind of like very quick, visceral experiences. But once they're done, they're kind of done. You don't really, you're not going to spend four or five, six hundred dollars so that you can ride a virtual roller coaster. Right. You could go ride a roller coaster. So, <laughs> so looking at film, it kind of had this evolution of, okay, now we want to tell stories. Well, how do we tell stories? Well, we know plays. Mm -hmm. So the first narrative films were, here's the camera, here's a play, and they'd film it. Right, everything's going to take place right in front of you. That's it. And if you look at if you look at a lot of those early films, they're clearly like on a stage, and it's a cardboard cut or not cardboard, but yeah. cutouts and things like that. And it's staged the same way, and everything 
you know, even if they happen to do cuts, everybody's pretty much, you know, from head to, you know, probably their knees. Like there, there's no real close-ups and things like that. And it took about 20 years, or maybe not quite 20 years, of people working with it and experimenting and trying different things for that to become, for the language of film to really come fully into itself and really distinguish itself from other forms of narrative storytelling. So it started out as just plays and became something completely distinct from plays. So as we can see, plays are different from movies or different from books or different from television, everything like that. They all have their own distinct way of doing things. There are similarities, of course, but also big differences. So we're kind of at the stage right now of we are still really filming plays. Uh, you're starting to see a little bit more of a breakout on that, people trying some different things. But eventually VR is going to have to become its own thing or it's just going to be a novelty. So explain, because this is the the question that I think, I, I know comes up with me and I think a lot of people when you start talking about VR, you've got a 360 degree experience that's filmed or live. Then you have virtual reality and then you have augmented reality and they kind of move in and out between each other and get confused and called something else. So is a 360 degree experience the same as VR or no? When you're talking about the 360 degree experience, you're talking about sort of the VR movies, right? So, or sporting events or things like that, where you put the headset on, you're kind of watching, you feel like you're in the environment, which you right. kind of do and kind of don't. Yeah. You can kind of see where the seams line up between all the different camera connections. Yeah, a lot of times, and because of how much data it actually takes to do these, you can't really do 3D at this point, or mm -hmm. at least they haven't been doing a lot of 3D. I'm sure there's some. So it, you get a little bit of that feeling of you're kind of watching something inside of a hamster ball. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's a novelty. It's cool, but sometimes you're like, eh. But again, it's kind of one of those things that we... It was something people were very bullish on for a while, including like like narrative experiences. But that's, at least at this point, fallen out of favor because, again, we're trying to take something we know and adapt it to a new medium. With a film, I'm dictating what you're looking at. I'm, you know, here's this person, you are watching them speak because it's a critical moment. Then here's this other person Here's a wide shot, and you're getting a sense of what's happening. Whereas within VR, you could have the two people talking to you in front of you, and you're like, whoa, this is over here, which is what happens. You yeah. can't actually force people to pay attention to what's going on in front of them. <laughs> you can't, and you miss something. Yeah, I remember when you know that was the new hotness you know ten years ago is we're all going to make VR films and it's like well now if you're going to direct it you gotta you gotta go back and like you said study plays and how do you direct a play and how do you have audio cues and I was looking at an uh, uh, a re a Civil War reenactment before we talked just to kind of refresh refresh my memory and you're right the first thing I did was oh they're talking but I want to look somewhere else and see what they're doing I want to see the guy behind him yawning and and why is he yawning right or should i be happened? looking at the guy behind him maybe that yawn is a critical narrative moment or something like that right yeah and now i lost the train of thought and i don't know where i'm going and what's happening and i'm going to go to the next video yeah 
So what people are kind of experimenting with with that is you're not really going to have, I'm just going to sit and watch this happen in front of me. If you've ever done or heard of like the murder mysteries, they'll do at hotels sometimes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, you know, a live action thing where you have to walk around and find the clues and talk to the right yeah. people and all this stuff like that. That's a little bit closer to what we can actually do in VR. It's a little bit more viable to do it that way because it is by its own nature interactive. It's just not okay. going to be super passive on that. Okay. This may ultimately change. There's still plenty of people working with this stuff. I actually don't work in that space, so who knows what they're actually doing that might be new and interesting there. But the general consensus is that this is not the right platform for narrative storytelling in the same sense of like movies, plays, television, things like that. Okay. Because it did kind of seem to come and go and everything yeah. was jaunt VR and GoPro arrays and, and little little pocket 360 things you put up everywhere and wow! Yeah, and there may very well still be use for that, especially now that we are in the age of plague. <laughs> you know, if you want to go to a concert, maybe somebody's <laughs> got the, you know, standing there with the basketball camera on there. you got a front row seat right. and all that. This may be just me on that. I've always found it to be psychologically a little bit weird mm. sometimes. So they actually sure. did a really cool thing where they had, uh, they filmed actually Joan Jett in VR. Okay. But rather than being in the audience, they put the camera like right next to her on stage. Oh, wow. So you're kind of like, oh, there's Joan Jett. And at the same time, you're going, I'm somewhere I'm not actually supposed to be. Yeah, I'm actually not supposed to be standing here. This is really awkward. <laughs> and especially if you're not used to people staring at you, there's the audience, too. So yeah. I think there's still a sense of we don't quite know how this is going to work out. I have maintained that sports will eventually be a huge thing for that. And, yeah. I, still, and I actually still think that because it's kind of the perfect medium. Like, okay, here, now you're on the 50-yard line. Mm-hmm. And you can watch the game that way, or if like, oh, the action's down that way, I can click a button and fade out, fade in, and I'm suddenly down right on the goal line. Right. And you can do that in basketball, too. You can bounce. They, they, they've done a couple broadcasts, not broadcasts, but a couple of experiences like that where you can go around to different spots and watch the same game. It still has a little bit of a ways to go on that. You're talking about AR and VR, so... And we'll cut over there, but when you can actually maybe see a little bit of what's going on around you while you're watching this so that I can grab my whatever beverage, adult or otherwise, <laughs> I happen to be enjoying while I'm watching the game, that's going to make a big difference because the user experience, that's kind of a new term within games and technology, but has actually been around for a while you've got to sort of recognize why people are doing what they're doing. Okay. We don't really watch sports to be sit, to sit in rapt attention. Right. Right. You know, and also you got your buddies with you and everybody's yelling and screaming. You got big bowls of chips and you know, yeah, you're, you're starting to tell stories, delusions of grandeur and and making fun of the, the, the bad play. Right. But you know, I put this on, I'm cutting out all that. And I've got no idea where the potato chips are, and I just poked the dog in the eye when I was trying to reach for <laughs> So 
we got a little ways to go before we figure out how to set this up so that people actually want to use it, that it actually takes this already familiar, enjoyable, fun, relaxing experience and makes it a little bit better okay. as opposed to just making it different and maybe okay. not better. Okay. So I think we, we've, we've poo-pooed on virtual reality a lot now. Well, I mean, I mean, it's, it's a certain type of it. And I mean, virtual yeah. reality definitely is not there yet. Okay. On there. So the, the filmed experiences, I don't think it's been dropped, but they're definitely back to the drawing board. Okay. But okay. even with, say, like VR games and such, that's another one we're still trying to kind of figure out. The term killer app is one that gets thrown around a lot. That really just means it's the it's what you will actually go buy this new technology to actually do or play. So way back in the day with the Apple II, it was just spreadsheets. That was no seriously, that was the big selling. Right, right. You know, and especially you know, you kind of laugh like who would do that? But if you're an accountant, yeah, you know, some they did change the world. Yeah, because before it was this gigantic piece of paper, a pencil, and an eraser. And then it's like, nope, it'll, you can change the number, it'll update it, and it'll save you an hour right there. And that's when you're going to drop the money for that. Yeah. With game platforms, we've typically had to have a game of some type that you're going to drop money for the new PlayStation or the new Xbox. Mm, okay. With VR, we don't really have that. There's good games out there, and don't get me wrong about that, but we don't really have that one where you're going... Oh, how much? Okay, you know, okay. shut up and take my money kind of thing. Yeah, It's not quite there yet, in part because they are fun, but they don't really feel like necessarily anything really new, and we are also still learning how to get people to interact with them. There really is a problem with suddenly I've taken away your hands, you can't see them anymore, and we have to do all this, and we haven't quite figured it out yet. Okay, that makes a lot of sense, though. But that that makes a lot of sense in how things you know with VR that we we talk about and we see, and everyone's like, yeah. But eh, you know, there, you, everybody has the one friend out of a sure. group of five that has the VR. It's like, okay, we'll play it at a dinner party or one afternoon, right. and and okay, no, I'm I no, I, I'm good now. I, I don't want to do yeah. it just yet. But it is still super appealing. Sure. It's still this thing that is so. You know, you want, you want, everybody wants to champion it. And it seems like now with like the Quest 2, you know, going even back to Oculus, that is VR something that is better as a gaming experience or better as a learning experience? Because that seems to be to what I've been seeing and what what where people are kind of splitting is experience for learning and experience a game or is are they one and the same well it can be both it's really not necessarily one or the other okay or if you're talking to straight up education i think it could be amazing you know for a variety of reasons actually so Number one, if you put somebody in VR, like let's say in a classroom environment, you have their undivided attention. Mm -hmm. You know, whatever else is going on, whether it's their phone or, you know, the adorable person sitting next to them or whatever, you know, the sun outside, the squirrel on the tree, you know, (laughs) 
I can only speak for myself, but my experience in school K through 12 was, is I want to pay attention to anything but what's going on in front of the classroom. Right. Was, anything, anything is welcome at this point. I was a reluctant student to be sure, but you could put somebody in that and you have their undivided attention. So everybody thinks of like, well, you could go to ancient Rome and put be in there and you could be in the environment, which is nice. I don't know how much that would actually teach anybody anything, but the questions we have to answer is going to be, how do we teach people algebra in VR? Mm, How do we, how do we take advantage of this tech and do this in VR? We don't know yet. The other thing is that I think is actually an underappreciated potential aspect of it is, is with all the issues that we have with, dilapidated schools trying to maintain you know poor school districts rural school districts a lot of these you know it costs money to build a school and it really costs a lot of money to maintain a school and then it really costs more money to completely fix one from the ground up and if you've ever done vr you know your brain kind of accepts what it's looking at you can put somebody in a different environment and they'll accept it you could change the environment somebody's learning in really easily that way. And it doesn't have to be isolating. If you've read the book Ready Player One, their description of the school is actually very interesting in how they would actually do things on there. And I don't think the technology may not necessarily be there to support that just yet, but it's on its way. And I do think it's a possibility to enhance the learning experience at relatively low cost. Again, maybe. (laughs) Free advice is worth what you pay for it. (laughs) But there is that possibility of using it to teach K through 12 more effectively. As you talk about that, it does make sense. I mean, I've got a little kid now and you're trying to teach him something and it's always, you know, you always have that argument. You have to say it. You have to have them do it. You have to have them do it by themselves. Then you have to leave the room so they can do it. And, you know, that doesn't really change as we get older. You know, if you're high school all the way up to college, you need somebody to show you what to do. And it's like, no, let me do it and screw it up. And then I can see in a virtual world in a in, when you create a safe space, that can be far more faster, I it guess. It could be. I don't have any evidence or proof or studies or anything like that. So this is just <laughs> me off the top of my head. But there is the potential to make the time that you spend learning something more effective. Mm. That you are more focused and immersed in it and maybe you'll absorb it better. Well, <laughs> again, I could be wrong. No, it's interesting because we were just talking about 360 where you could see absolutely everything and you can't focus but using the same concept to hyper-focus you right. and strip away everything right. and get you to see something, that, a concept, uh, you know, we always see people with VR, it's always something medical-based is the most go-to thing where I can now examine the inside Side of the lung, lung and, and there's nothing there to stop me from examining this lung and I can learn all about this lung faster than I ever could now. It, it does make sense in that flip concept that uh, it, it can become something of a, of a better teaching tool. Where do you see now 
as you're because you're teaching the software development or the script writing for VR? More the design for it. Than the design for else. VR. Okay. So the technology is actually fairly easy to work with. Okay. If you know how to use a game engine, you can design for VR. So Unity, you open up Unity, you download a Unity package, you import it, you hit play, and you're in VR. Oh, wow. That's not an exaggeration. It's actually that easy. Right. Unreal is basically set. You click a checkbox for VR, and you're off to developing in VR. Oh, wow. So in the scripting, whether you're doing scripting for Unity or Blueprint and Unreal or, or programming, there's nothing really that different about it. Because these programs are still somewhat WYSIWYG or even further into coding? Yeah, it's just, it's a little further into it, but it's nothing we don't really already do. So ultimately it's, you know, you're looking at a stereoscopic image. You're basically just developing for a different kind of monitor. Okay. So there's nothing really that, you know, the controls and everything that we've dealt with controls. So the hard part is what are we actually going to do with it? Because number one, it's just not... It's not the holodeck, at least not yet. <laughs> and it's not what you see in movies, and it's it's, it's not Minority I... Report yet. It's not Lawnmower Man. No. <laughs> so not, nothing quite like that, or when you know people go into VR, you know, or Sword Art Online, where you know you're completely into it and everything like that. So it's. I think there's a little bit of letdown in terms of what it actually is, but you have to learn to kind of find out what the strengths are and actually design for something people want to do and actually want to stay in for a while. And we're still working on that. Where do you start with that design? So if I'm a student coming in going, okay, I want to, I want to do some VR. And I know that's a very loaded question, but what are some of the? Th- <laughs> what are some of the things that students need to start thinking about when they want to choose that VR path? Where where are the? What are the fundamentals for VR? A lot of them are going to just be the same as what you would do for any kind of design. You. You know, you have to know how to kind of craft an experience, you know, what's fun, what's not, the basic technical skills of it and all, but not even just for VR, but if you want to work with emerging technology, there are principles that you kind of have to embrace even harder than you do with, say, like, uh, what do they call it, like agile development. Or okay. Whatever. So one of them is fail faster. <laughs> okay. So the more you fail, the more you find out what doesn't work. And you have okay. to be able to iterate on that. When I do have students come into class, I've made very stringent requirements on you have to be able to script. You have to have at least a year of scripting coming in. Mm-hmm. And when they come in, I even tell them this is a scripting heavy class. Okay. So because, if, oh, I've got an idea. Well, great. Now you have to go do it. The controls <laughs> don't do what you want to do. So you're going to have to script your own control scheme and the locomotion makes people sick so you got to figure something else out there and you have to be able to iterate on so you have to learn to work quickly and make adjustments and changes so that's true of pretty much game and in general software development but i think for emerging technology even more so because 
you're going to fail way more than you're going to succeed in the end. Uh, okay. So that's so part that... of it. The other thing is you have to be really willing to think about not just what you want to do with it. Okay, so if you want to be an artiste, <laughs> you know, put your beret on and everything like that, you can do whatever you want to. It doesn't really matter. And there's right. some very cool stuff out there where people did some really neat, you know, kind of like artsy projects and things like that. Uh -huh. But you really have to kind of take a harder look at how people use things, kind of the user experience that I was speaking of before. Mm -hmm. If we go back to when Microsoft introduced the Kinect, which never really took off for a variety of reasons, you know, one of the, it was not really great technology, but this idea <laughs> that you're going to use your body to control the game yeah. and it works about 70 even the developers will tell you it worked about 70 percent which is not which is nowhere near good enough for a control system but another thing they didn't take into account is how do people actually want to play games yeah so there's certainly room for you know like party games where we're dancing or we're mm -hmm. doing you know doing something physical in motion think of like guitar hero yeah. And that was popular. Every freaking party I went to had a <laughs> right. guitar here. Right, and we connect, and uh, yeah. or, and all the all the Wii stuff. Yeah, yeah. It, even the the Wii stuff too, which also kind of faded as sort of a novelty. But a big part of the reason is is that when you come home and you've had a long day and you just want to relax, you want to play a game, you're looking to sit there and just veg out. Yeah. I don't want to do calisthenics at 10 o'clock at night after exactly. working all day. Yeah, that so, makes sense. Don't get me wrong. There is room to do for physicality within games on there. Mm -hmm. So you can certainly develop for that, but a lot of the games didn't take that into consideration. And there's other practical ideas too. So I love looking at the old advertisements for the Wii because they show families doing it with a living room that was bigger than my entire apartment <laughs> right <laughs> yeah you got 15 feet of space from the couch to yeah. your massive television like wow i don't have 15 feet in my bedroom right. <laughs> you had to be back i think six feet to make it work properly and to me six feet back was i've, I've yeah, just that... fallen over my coffee table and possibly killed right. myself yeah so <laughs> you know, do you really want to rearrange the room every time you want to play a game? It's it's kind of one of those practical considerations that I don't think they really thought through well enough on there. Okay. So VR is kind of the same way. The first Oculus Quest was a huge step in the right direction for that. But this idea that for the previous versions where you actually did have to have cameras like with the Vive, the first commercial Oculus Quest kit and some of the others where I've got cameras all over the room. I've got the space kind of walled off and, you know, I'm going to, you know, putting on this headset and I'm walking off the world and I hope I don't stomp on my cat or, you know, <laughs> right. inadvertently punch somebody in the face or things like that. It's extreme. It seems beyond aspirational at this point to even begin to play this. Right. And again, that's not to say that you can't, but the people who are going to actually go through the motions of creating the space and doing all this stuff are going to be the enthusiasts, the true believers, mm -hmm. the early adopters, the people who 
just this new technology is just the best. It's not going to be for that broad audience who are going to go, I have to do all of what? You know what? No, give me my PlayStation controller and I'm just going to do that. Yeah. That makes sense because then that was when you know the Oculus kind of was it the 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 phone usage and the little cardboard holder for the phone with that first or was it the Oculus was the, that was first or was it kind of together? The very first Oculus developers kit definitely was the first one, kind of in the modern era. We had versions of virtual reality before that dating way back in fact if you watch the lord of the rings extras mm-hmm. they actually have one scene where peter jackson is in vr doing the uh, i think the cave troll scene oh, okay. like a virtual camera where so he could actually like look and see everything that was going on and place the camera yeah i remember back in the day you know some of the jib operators would have those these little glasses that had one camera over the eye and and they could kind of see what was happening. Yeah, so there's different versions of it, but with the, you know, what they refer to as the DK1 for the developer's kit one, that was the first one. The phone thing followed not too long after, okay. or maybe almost kind of at the same time, possibly. Um, and the phone was kind of a good gateway for a lot of people, but the problem was, actually there were a lot of problems. So number one, you want to play a game on your phone? Where's your controller? Right. You had potentially like the one switch up here. If you were really ambitious, you could pair a controller, a Bluetooth controller to your headset, or I'm sorry, your phone, and how many people are actually going to do that? Sure. Almost nobody. And it could have been more of a gateway, except, again, there was just never really enough compelling content for people to do and content is always king mm-hmm. a lot of like little novelty experiences like i said a lot of roller coasters you know maybe outdoorsy scenes you know little snippets of concerts somebody did like a circus Soleil thing which was neat but you know i watched about <laughs> five minutes of it once and then i was done with it <laughs> yeah it, 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 it does kind of harken back to some of those 3D movies from the 70s and, and things like that, where right. it was like, you know, with bats flying at you and arrows coming at you. It's like, right. great. I don't think this is the world's greatest spaghetti Western, but it feels like I'm there for a little bit. Right. That kind of brings back that question again. What is worth doing then? And what is worth the process of getting into VR? What makes it so much of a thing that should be developed and should be worked on. Not to make you the, the, the evangelist and the apologist for VR, but you know, it, it, it you know, the, that cynical question of, you know, why am I doing this? Well, if somebody was coming to me going, why do I want to buy an Oculus Quest 2, let's say, mm-hmm. which is awesome, by the way. Actually, I can't say it's awesome, but the way they're approaching it okay. is really awesome. Like I said, the first Quest was a huge leap forward for the technology. For actually, in terms of user experience, getting it into somebody's hands or the, the, the public's hands because there were no cameras involved. It was what we call inside-out tracking where the headset is using lasers okay. to track the controllers and your environment. 
So you don't have to have an elaborate setup. You don't really have to do much of anything. You basically just put it on and you're ready to go. Okay. And you're done. You take it off. The end. So the Quest 2 was another step in the right direction. And, and if I was a developer, and I am, <laughs> it's really exciting because it's inexpensive, relatively inexpensive. So $300, and I have no inside information on as to whether or not this is true, but they have to be taking a loss on every headset they sell. Sure, okay. That's not surprising. Yeah. So with, with, the, with the tech that they have in there, with, with the chipset that they have, there's no way that they're turning a profit on this. So they're bullish on the software, and they believe that once they actually get this out into the public, they can turn it into its own ecosystem. So for developers, that's an exciting thing. It's not so exciting that you have to be logged into Facebook to use it, which people are really not happy about. That's a different, that's a whole different can of. Right. That's a whole different. Evil blood sucking worms. (laughs) But on a consumer level, if someone's going to say, well, why should I bother? On one hand, it's a little bit hard to answer that because there's not really a whole lot of stuff where I'm like, this is the coolest thing ever. This is something like you've never seen before. Try this. There's cool stuff in there. Again, there's really cool games and all that. But it's a little bit hard to say, here's the killer app. Here's the thing that's going to change the way you look at games and life and everything else on that. Okay. There's neat stuff. So Half-Life, had, I actually had an interesting time with that. So you're familiar with Half-Life too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So they came out with a VR... Half-Life 2 game. It's kind of, it was a prequel game. Mm-hmm. It wasn't Half-Life 3 or Half-Life 2 Part 3, unfortunately, which is what we all really wanted, but, <laughs> you know, we'll probably never see it. And they did some really cool stuff with it. It did well. I don't think... It wasn't the explosion that I think they were hoping for. And I think part of that was, this is something I actually came across in class that I was kind of like, what? what? If you're a little bit older, as... You know, me. <laughs> Some of us you are. Know, Half, Half-Life 2 is almost a mythological game. It's known for being in like the top tier of, you know, like first person story shooter games of all time. Right. And I was talking about this in one of my classes. Now, like Half-Life, oh yeah, I've heard of that. I was like, oh. <laughs> Which makes sense. It's about, like, what, 15 years old at this point? Right, which is at least two generations or three, if you're thinking in technology. Yeah, absolutely. It's so so beyond. Yeah. It's not Pokemon Go, for crying out loud. No. We we, (laughs) we need our Pokemon Go. So (laughs) AR had Pokemon Go, and even that was barely AR. Yeah. You know, that, that was a little bit of the coming out party. But what's... The funny thing is, is they've kind of not really been able to build on that. I think they tried a Harry Potter one like that right. that didn't and, really and do didn't nothing, all nothing, that great. I think that yeah. was kind of, there was a little bit of like, I think we did this already. Yeah. Kind of thing. So. But to get back to then, like, if I'm going to, if I'm a student, I want to develop for VR. 
what what are you wanting as a developer? What are you wanting to see students and entry level developers start thinking about? Because you you mentioned scripting and user experience, but what makes the user experience different? Or more importantly, what, what is the user experience people need to think about when they're developing games and then tacking it into a VR system? To some extent, I don't know. If I really had an answer for that, I'd be off making a bazillion dollars <laughs> making that game. So we kind of know, but kind of don't all at the same time. So there's a little bit of everybody kind of comes in there's almost this idea that it's going to be this wish fulfillment. Okay. Like I'm finally going to get to do this. I'm not just going to be playing it on a screen. I'm going to be in that world. Okay. And that's certainly a big part of it. But number one, that's really hard to create. Mm -hmm. Like kind of total interactivity. We're so if you want to make games for it, you have to remember that we are making games. Okay. We're crafting experiences. We're not necessarily trying to stimulate reality. Okay. That seems like a big distinction in the final product a lot of times. Yeah. It's like, oh, that's that's a cool game, but it doesn't look cool. Well, it's not going to look cool yet. Right. It seems to be the answer. You know, we'll get there, of course. But even if you take something like it, like I'm trying to think of like maybe what's like the most hyper-realistic type of game, maybe something like Call of Duty when it's not, when yeah. pe not people flying around with jetpacks and things like that. Mm -hmm. That they're trying Bail. to make it like as close to combat as you can. Well, mm -hmm. it's actually not. We still have all these game mechanics and ideas in it of everything from maps to having, you know, like the gun pop up right in the center of your screen and things mm -hmm. like that. And with VR, especially because it has that feeling of presence, and, and we can talk about this immersion and presence are two different things mm -hmm. yeah, where you definitely. feel like you're there and now it's like, oh, well, I should just have a gun like I would normally do and I'm going to shoot and I'm going to just, instead of clicking a button to open this door, I'm going to actually grab the door and open it. And we may someday get to that point, but it doesn't really work like that now for sure. Okay. In fact, it tends to feel very awkward for that. Is, so is that immersion more important or is it something that people are striving for to see if it will be important? So within games, immersion is very important. And that's okay. basically across the board. I think people confuse immersion with presence. Presence is the term we use when we say you feel like you're there. Okay. Like you put this on and like, oh my God, I'm around. And there is... It's a, that's a really powerful experience. And if you've ever been in VR and like been looking around here, kind of like, this is the coolest place ever. Yeah. And you take the, the headset off. It's a little like coming out of a dream. Yeah. Like it's Absolutely. almost like jarring, like, oh yeah, I am just sitting here. I am in my living room or the classroom or whatever. Yeah. There's the, there's that weird physicality of you're like, yeah. wow, something just left my body. Yeah there is kind of this weird shift. And I think that for me, that was one of those things that really like kind of blew me away when I first tried it. Immersion on the other hand, just means you are totally mentally engaged. Okay. Nothing to do with VR. If you've ever played a game and you've liked it, at some point we've been immersed in it. 
you've had that complete right. focus. So you can be okay. completely immersed in Zelda. You can be completely immersed in Candy Crush. You can be completely immersed in Call of Duty. You can be completely immersed in Angry Birds. I've been so immersed in Angry Birds, especially on public transportation, <laughs> I'm lucky nobody ever stole my phone. <laughs> I've, I've literally been like, there should have been a bullseye on me. I've been playing it, standing on the train. Somebody could have grabbed my phone, run off, and it would have been 30 seconds before I realized what happened. Like, oh, what <laughs> but immersion presence are not the same thing. Presence within VR is relatively easy. Okay. It's kind of how it seems to be. And if you ever talk to somebody who's more psychologically learned than I am, they could probably explain that to you. But you kind of put this thing on, and even if it's cartoony or what have you, you kind of start to accept it. Mm, you sort of accept right. this as your environment. Immersion, you do get immersed. There is engagement, but it also gets broken by bad interaction so if i was going to compare that to a regular console game or even a mobile game that would be if the controls don't work properly so if like if angry angry birds is great in the sense that you'd swipe and launch the bird and off it would go and it pretty much worked the way you'd expect it to so if it didn't do that that would be an immersion breaker same thing with any kind of game it should generally be intuitive because, yeah, because you're not looking down at the controller. You right. should be looking, you know, your eyes are locked in on what you're doing. Right. You know, the, like you said, the cat could run by and you would never see it. Right. Which and, is yeah, happening okay. to us all. And if you were born after 1990, you, game controller is practically an extension of yourself. Yeah. Yeah. You know how to use that. We don't really have that in VR just yet. So a lot of the things people have tried and different games have tried, especially with, Accurate motion controllers, which is kind of a dream come true. I won't pick on any specific games here, but I've played ones where, you know, you have to go up to the door and click on it and actually open the door. And it doesn't quite work. (laughs) Yeah, it seems like somebody overthought. Yeah. It sounds like a bad Dungeons and Dragons storyline some somebody who's never played dungeons and dragons well like me is going you open the door you turn the door to the left you unlock the door right. then you pull the door you're like okay i get it i go through the door yeah but even so there's a video series called extra credits which by the way i recommend for anybody really interested in games because they go into a lot of really great topics but they did one about and this was in regards to the connect but the uncanny valley of controls so the uncanny valley being, I'm looking at something and it's kind of human, but it, there's something horribly wrong with it. If you've seen like bad CG or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really as we all that. have. Yeah. So, or like animatronic things that are close, but they're kind of herky jerky. And it's a little yeah. bit like, ah, it's possessed, I'm leaving. <laughs> but what they put out there, and I agree with them, is that there is an uncanny valley of controls. If it's telling you to do something that you're familiar with, like opening a door, and it doesn't work right, and it doesn't feel right, that takes you out of it completely. You're, you're, you're just done. Yeah. So okay. that's where it kind of breaks the immersion, and it starts to actually break presence as well, too. So especially with motion controls, there's sort of this with great power 
comes great responsibility, <laughs> sort of thing. There. So we kind of know how to use it. It's really cool, and we can point. And everybody wants to, you know, for UI, you're clicking and you're doing the pointers. And mostly we find out just how much our hands shake mm. when you're trying to point. <laughs> it's, you know, the virtual lines extending out three feet. And it's like, how much coffee did I have this morning? Yeah. Sort of thing on there. So, and again, there's room for motion controlled games. Beat Saber is a great example of that. It leans into the strengths and does a really nice job of making a very fun experience. But if we want to go deeper, if we want it to be like you're playing D&D or you're, you're in Call of Duty or you're playing Skyrim in virtual reality, we have to rethink how you actually interact with the environment. And this idea of, well, we can't highlight things anymore. Everything you have to lean in and actually click and grab is, I don't think is true because and again, this goes back to the extra credits. I don't want to feel, I don't want anybody to think I'm like stealing ideas. <laughs> it's called the connect disconnect. If anybody wants to look it up, yeah. it's really good. But essentially if you're using a controller, that's tool usage and we understand tool usage. So again, that, you know, we know you don't run by pushing forward on a controller, but that's tool usage and we can make that mental connection. We can do the same thing in VR and still have presence and immersion. In fact, that will probably ultimately enhance immersion if you're not necessarily flailing around all the time. Oh, wow. So, I mean, that seems like, you know, if you're going to start doing VR stuff, it, it almost seems like you're going backwards or starting simpler in a game design system than if you were doing it in a traditional, you know, game engine. It seems like you're just becoming, you know, you're taking things down to the the most simple and basic concepts long before you get into something complicated. Yeah. For anything new like that, you do have to keep it very simple. So to kind of harken back to the to the olden days of yore for video games, the first attempt at a commercial video game was this one called Computer Space. This was in I think nineteen seventy one. Okay. They attempted this. It was basically an adaptation of one that they did at MIT. And it was this game, and it had like four different buttons on it, and competitive, and it was a failure, in part because that was going to be too complicated for the time. Mm -hmm. People did not have the biases for that sort of thing that we do today of like, oh, buttons, I'm da -da 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 -da. I know how to control right. this. Pong was the first really successful one, in part because it was a knob. Yeah, when one thing... It was one thing, and, you know, knobs were kind of gone yeah. at this point, but your TV had a knob, your oven had a knob, everything had a knob. <laughs> you, you get you, We know what a knob is. I'm laughing because, you know, as you talk about usability, it's one of those things that we all think, when you really study usability and user experience, it, it's not, you know, people think, oh, it's just technology. Because, no, you know, there's a whole usability lab on how your refrigerator works. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there are deep studies on this. Yeah, the, which is fascinating, but it's like, yeah, it, it kind of makes sense when you start going, yeah, TV had a knob, washing machine had a knob, games got a knob, I can I can turn clockwise and counterclockwise. I'm smart. Right. <laughs> but even then you go, oh, I get it, and I'm off and I can play. So we're kind of going backwards in the sense of now we have these new control systems 
that we don't have these built-in biases to use. And let's see, I've got one. You know, I've got these right here. They're similar. Right, the, the hand connector glove things but are- But they're are... different. They're different all at the same time. And I'll even, I'll throw this out there something I don't necessarily have an answer for. So similar to a gamepad, right? Right. You got the two joysticks, you got kind of a comparable amount of buttons. It's not that different, but is this one controller or two? Right. So, and psychologically speaking, two controllers is very different than one, I think. Oh, absolutely. Anybody who's played an instrument, it goes back to are you left handed or right handed? Yeah. How do you, you know, how do you make two different hands do two different things at the same time? Right. So if now we're designing for games, are we designing for a game that has one controller like a gamepad? Are we designing for a game that has two controllers? Right. And do I have to keep in mind, well, this one's for locomotion, this one's for interaction. How can I cross them over? So it's a, it's. How do I do something simple like scratch my butt in the middle of the game and not kill myself? Right. <laughs> yeah. And there is that too. And I mean, if, if you go to play a game and you want to have a, you know, you're thirsty, you know, you probably got your beverage right there. Right. Do you unshackle yourself from the game right. to you know do it, or do we have it piped into our veins intravenously, as science fiction has led us to believe, is how yeah. games are supposed to work? <laughs> We're not answering a lot of questions about VR that I've written up, but it does <laughs> answer a lot of concepts in that why it's important. Can you tell me briefly, because I know you've got a strong opinion on a lot of this, of what VR is capable of doing now and what VR should be, what we should be working on outside of games. Cause we talked a little bit about games and, and then learning, but what, what do you see as some of the pluses of VR in the you know nearer future? I think it has a lot of potential for training, of course, and education like we talked about. I think that there is the potential Somebody who was not me once called it an empathy machine. Mm, okay. With the idea of now I could be actually in somebody else's shoes and experience the world through their eyes, which I think is entirely possible. That's scary, but brilliant, but scary. <laughs> Much of the insanity that we're dealing with today it has a lot to do with the fact that we are kind of collectively lacking a certain amount of empathy. Very true. So, the, and there's been some attempts to do this. Somebody did kind of a documentary series where they put, they, it was a VR film thing, but they took it to a refugee camp with kind of the intention of look at what this is actually like, understand mm. this. Yeah, a different type of journalism. Yeah, and will people do that? Maybe. I mean, people watch documentaries about stuff that's unpleasant all the time. Sure. And I think it has, a, there's the potential for, well, actually, I take it back. So I was going to talk about like relaxation and like it can put you in this natural environment, even though you have a 200 square foot studio apartment in San Francisco and feel like you're not there for a little while. But there is a doctor, I believe, at UCLA who has been using it to treat PTSD. Right. That that seems to come up a lot. 
that the PTSD aspect is is a lot of people are have been talking about that. Yeah. So, and which almost seems like it's taking the to me it seems like it's taking all of the negative aspects of this technology and finding the best use for it. Sure. It's making you uncomfortable to unwind a negative experience. Yeah. And it's kind of amazing. And I, it essentially is allowing them to re-experience it in a safe environment, mm-hmm. which for those who want to know more consult, you know, Google. Yeah. You know, to find out more. I don't, I don't actually, I don't want to take, a really good thing and reduce it to kind of a soundbite. Sure, sure. Because it is really fascinating what he's doing with that, the the, the doctor, whoever it may be. There's potential for, for, I think, different kinds of psychological explorations on there. There's a gentleman, and his name escapes me, I'm so sorry, down at Stanford, who actually has a psychology background who has been experimenting with VR and I got to hear him speak he's actually got a book out as well I just cannot remember his name at the moment but one thing he talked about that I've experienced as well is the idea of looking into a mirror and seeing somebody who's not yourself ah. like seeing a completely different form and that's a weird one okay and that's beyond that's beyond an avatar that's that's something more experiential so, yeah I mean it really is I experienced it the first time with a very basic early VR program that was going to let you like watch movies in VR, which mm-hmm. by the way is awesome. <laughs> but for whatever reason, I had a female avatar and I was kind of like, wow, this is neat. And I looked down and saw the female body and I was like, whoa, this is weird. <laughs> you know? This is great, but this is really weird. This got really weird. Very, very, very fast. It's kind of jarring, but very interesting all at the same time. And how that could be used, I'm not sure. So, like, if you have something like VR Chat, certainly you can have different avatars in there. Mm-hmm. And Facebook is working on something like that, too. If the video is to be believed, you're kind of this avatar with no legs that's just kind of floating around. Uh-huh. Well, it's science fiction, so there always has to be something yeah. odd odd and weird about it right so but 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 you so vr is it it is this thing that does need to be pushed and further studied and and developed and you know people need to learn how to do it and and push these boundaries sure and there may not be much more to it than training and education and games it may kind of stop there but technology what's that those are those are pretty good that's a pretty good call to action though (laughs) that's a pretty broad thing i mean you know history is kind of littered with technology that was oh well we did this well let's tack this onto it too and it'll you know it'll be an enhancement and all this stuff like that and it just never really works out that way okay i'm sure you know if you went back to the 90s and talked to somebody about the smartphones <laughs> it'll be like yeah this will be great we'll be more connected than ever it'll be convenient it'll enhance our lives and all this stuff like that and it's like you're not seeing the downside 
<laughs> you're not reading enough science fiction. You don't understand what's happening. But you mentioned something just, and I just want to close it out with that because I want to have a nice up as we've been like, well, how's VR going to work? I don't know. But it's something that, you know, we are in the, the time of COVID. And it was another thing that I had forgotten about. And it was VR movies. And now that movies are now no longer a theater experience for a undetermined amount of time, you, you said they were awesome. How are those VR movies awesome? What, what, what are you liking about them? It's not so much VR movies, but watching movies in VR. Watching movies in VR. The first time I tried it, I was kind of blown away, actually, because you do get that weird sense of scale that you are kind of watching on this gigantic screen. And it's actually very relaxing. It's really, it's kind of, it's that relaxing of I'm, I'm somewhere else. Mm. Kind of the same way of like, I'm going to, you know, part of the, that maybe this says a lot about me. I, I like going to movies like at a, you know, matinee before noon on a Sunday. (laughs) <laughs> so you literally want no one to be in this theater that's a great experience. so you spending the 99 dollars to rent out your amc theater is, think I have you 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 are the uh the target market for that right no but I, that's not the only time i go watching you know something like the avengers or star wars with the crowd who's into it yeah is absolutely awesome yeah i will back you up and go yes going to a movie theater alone is pretty awesome yeah but it's kind of that feeling of sort of like uh, you know, yeah. I'm closed off. The world is kind of outside. I'm not home. I don't have to deal with all this stuff. Sure. I have to turn my phone off because they'll come get me yeah. if I don't. Right. You know, kind of thing of sort of this dark climate controlled, yeah. smells right. like popcorn, all the right. good things. But I've left all the stuff outside. You kind of re experience that. It is sort mm. of that, you kind of get that sense of it too. Now, it's not because VR has sort of a limited field of view right now, you still kind of get that ski goggle effect. Mm-hmm. But once that opens up a little bit more, it's going to be kind of, an, I think it'll be even cooler to be able to do that. And as long as you don't mind looking dorky, it's great on the plane. <laughs> well, I think, I think as, as time goes by, I think, uh, you know, all these dorky technology things are, are becoming less and less dorky. So yeah, I think that, that's good. Just to wrap it up for real, what are some things that you think for game design, just very quickly, as people are thinking about this, thinking about technology, thinking about game design, can you point them to anything that, you know, a book, a story, a game, something that's going to have them go, this is what you want to start with if you want to venture down this, you know, fabulously weird and wonderful world of of games. In terms of the actual tech or just inspiration or inspiration something that's going to give somebody that idea to go you know i i'm I'm do i'm going down the right path this is what i want to do so i would say for me not the movie the book but ready player one okay book not the movie book not the movie book not the movie got it was a huge one for me because even though it kind of paints the broad strokes there was a lot of like oh my god it would be so freaking awesome to be able to do this Hmm. which is always a good place to start you got to keep going after that but really for any kind of emerging technology for anybody who likes to do all the stuff if you're committed to being a modeler probably don't really need to do vr 
There's nothing, <laughs> nothing against modelers, but it's right. Not your thing yet. You know, but if you're a designer and you like the technology and you like problem solving, and maybe you like to do things a little bit differently, then it's one of those things that see what other people are doing, watch the videos, but don't be afraid to try your own thing. Your ideas mm. are just as valid as anybody's. Like I said, I'm, a, I'm very opinionated on this stuff, but, you know, no one person is right about everything on this. But that's refreshing, though. That's kind of cool, though, that, that what you're saying, that there's, you know, there's so much out there. Just go for it. Yeah, it's the frontier. Yeah. Literally, you, you can try anything. It's like going back to the early days of film. It's like, well, should I film this? Like, yeah, you probably should. Who knows? <laughs> See what'll happen. Yeah. If the urban legends are true and the train came pulling into the station, people like hit the ground. Yeah. And people freaked out. So imagine if like, well, I'll just film this train pulling into the station and then you show it and people lose their shit. Yeah. You know, it's like more. I got to do more. Right. right. Yeah. So yeah. you never really know what's quite going to land and you're not nobody's going to figure it out until we've tried it so if you've got an idea that you think would be cool go for it honestly yeah that fear of failure is not a, not an issue anymore it's very hard to be a creative person of any sprite if you're afraid of failing <laughs> or actually I, i'll take that back if you let being afraid of failing stop you because i think it's something we are all afraid of so there you go, a long-winded but very informative answer to the question of what makes VR important and how you prepare for a career in VR. And like more and more art and design careers that are on the rise, employers are always on the hunt for the next generation of talented and skilled creative professionals. And here at the Academy of Art, you will get those work-ready skills that employers want. You can study on-site in downtown San Francisco and, of course, anywhere in the world with our online programs. To request more information about our 40-plus areas of study in art and design, including game development, virtual reality, UX and UI design, and more, just visit our website at academyart.edu slash creativemind. Again, I'm Bobby Brill. Thanks for listening.